PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's the PFT PM Podcast for Monday, the 17th day of September. Doing things differently than usual. It's really not PM when I do this, but travel day, it's hard for me when I get home to make time to do it. And not all that much has changed between the morning and the afternoon. It's all a reflection and reaction to what happened on Sunday. So let's continue to reflect and react on what happened on Sunday. And also, when I'm done, I won't be done. I've got about a five to seven minute conversation that I had last night with Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, and Mike Tirico on the set of Football Night in America, where we talked about a few of the different things coming out of the second Sunday of the season. So we will play that on the back end of whatever I say over however long I say it over the next, I don't know, however long I say it. Let me say something about overtime. I think the NFL really needs to consider changing the overtime rules because ties are not acceptable. And we've had two very exciting games the first two weeks of the season that ended in ties. And it's an unsatisfying feeling. There is no winner. There is no loser. Ergo, it's a tie. The Browns and the Steelers tied to end their game in week one. And the Vikings and the Packers, an epic classic game, ends in a tie in week two. First time since 1971 there was a tie in each of the first two weeks of the season. And back then there was no overtime at all. Now the overtime has shrunk down to 10 minutes, which makes it harder to break that tie, especially when you've got the possibility for two possessions because if the team that receives the opening kickoff gets a field goal, then the other team gets a chance to match it. You may have no time left if the two teams kick field goals to start overtime. So why not just embrace the college system? Why not? You know, back in 1994, when the NFL added the two-point conversion, I was shocked because I thought the NFL would never do that. I thought the NFL's position would be college does it, we don't do it. The NFL adopted it, and it's become a staple. It's become part of life in the NFL. If anything, teams don't use it enough, but it's there, and it's, it's around, and the NFL didn't in any way undermine its product by picking up on something that college football does. So why not do the 25-yard thing that arrived in college football about the same year the NFL adopted the two-point conversion? In fact, it may have been the very same year. 1994, I believe, was a year that both changes were made two-point conversion for the nfl overtime for college football for years college football if it ends in regulation as a tie it's a tie and that's that and the thing about the 25 yard first down and 10 and whatever happens happens and you either match it or beat it on on uh, your opportunity in each stanza of overtime What it does is it could result in a much shorter overtime, and there seems to be concern about not having players on the field for too long coming out of a 60-minute game, especially if one of the two teams may be playing on Thursday after playing on Sunday. And, And I think also it allows for the NFL to have identical procedures in regular season and postseason because in the postseason, you keep going until there's a winner. In the regular season, there's a possibility for a tie. If you go with the 25-yard line approach that college football has used, then you're always going to have a winner, and it's always going to be the same procedure, regular season or postseason, and I don't know why the NFL just doesn't do it. The ties are not acceptable outcomes, and hopefully it's something the NFL will take a look at. Another thing I hope the NFL takes a look at is it's something – it started as kind of a crazy idea that I had regarding how the NFL could just inject some clarity into this issue of – quarterback protection because we saw some controversial calls on 
Sunday in the same game. Eric Kendricks with a questionable hit on Aaron Rodgers. Questionable for the foul, not for the hit. Same thing happened later in the game. Clay Matthews with a hit on Kirk Cousins that gave the Vikings a mulligan. Cousins had thrown an interception. There was the hit from Matthews where he lifted Cousins off the ground and drove him into the turf. That was a foul. And it caused a lot of confusion because people thought it was application of this body weight rule that now has renewed enforcement. Apparently, it's not a new rule. It just was never really enforced. Now it's being enforced. People thought that's the rule that was in play here, and it wasn't. And I, I can't fault people for not keeping the rules straight. I can't keep them straight. When you look at the roughing the passer foul, all the different ways you can commit roughing the passer, it's impossible to keep it straight. So why not consider, as ridiculous as it sounds, if the goal is to protect quarterbacks, and if they really are thinking about 18 games in a regular season, and I think they are, why not just apply the same rule that applies to punters and kickers? When the ball's away, you can't touch the quarterback. If you do, at a minimum, it's a five-yard penalty. Possibly it's 15. Same judgment call that decides running into the kicker versus roughing the kicker, running into the passer versus roughing the passer. Five yards or 15. Once the ball's out, you can't touch him then we never now I know we would get into the question of whether it's five or 15 but you never have that that confusion over something that is supposed to be a football play that looks like a football play that results in a penalty that automatically extends a drive and maybe some of these hits maybe they should only be five yard penalties maybe they hit from Clay Matthews on Kirk Cousins should only be a five yard uh, variety. I, I don't want to go that far with it yet because, you know, there's a chance that everybody's going to think this is a crazy idea, but I think it's not crazy from the perspective of removing any ambiguity as to what is and isn't a foul. We'll know it's a foul because if the quarterback gets hit after the ball's away, at a minimum, it's five yards for running into the passer. The Browns have run into some fairly good fortune to start the year. They aren't 0-2, which is progress, I suppose. And now they are going to move forward without Josh Gordon. Strange situation where the Browns have announced that they're going to cut Josh Gordon, and as it turns out, they may ultimately trade Josh Gordon. Multiple teams are interested. Multiple teams have reached out to the Cleveland Browns, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point on Monday the Browns do indeed trade him. Odds makers have made the Patriots and the Cowboys favorites. I think the Seahawks have to be considered. When you look at the Vikings behind Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, what do they have? Laquan Treadwell has dropped more passes than he's caught this year. That may not be accurate, but it sounds good, so I'm going to stick with it. One hot use Josh Gordon is the number three behind Thielen and Diggs. However it plays out, I see someone trade for Josh Gordon and I know the Cowboys reportedly aren't interested but as a team source told PFT on Sunday you never know with this team and it is quite possible that the Cowboys even after winning last night realize how much more potent their offense would be if they had a Josh Gordon there drawing double coverage on a regular basis so we'll see what happens with Josh Gordon as the day unfolds in Philadelphia, we'll see what happens with some of these injured players they have potentially coming back. Carson Wentz could be cleared for contact this week, paving the way for him to play against the Colts in Week 3. Alshon Jeffrey still trying to work his way back. Mike Wallace now reportedly out for a while after injuring his ankle on Sunday in that loss to the Buccaneers. There were several Eagles injuries yesterday, but Wallace seems to be the most severe of the injuries that occurred during the game, and they're going to need somebody to run the routes and catch the passes. If Alshon Jeffrey's out, Mike Wallace is out. He was the replacement for Torrey Smith as the deep threat. So it could be a challenge for Carson Wentz in his first week back. It won't surprise me if he plays week three because you get a couple of games that are 
quote-unquote winnable against the Colts and the Titans before a tough slate of game comes up from week five through week eight, starting with the Vikings, and they'll have the Giants in that mix. They'll have other important games that they'll need Carson Wentz to be ready for. So Colts-Titans maybe gets him ready for the stretch of games from week five through week eight. The Eagles surprisingly lost to the Buccaneers. I think the Eagles spent the entire offseason looking at week two as an easy win. Their fans surely did. The Buccaneers turning it around with a 2-0 start. They could go 3-0 before Jameis Winston returns from his suspension. And I don't know what's going to happen when Winston comes back. It's going to be a problem for the Buccaneers. And I know you will hear people say it's a good problem to have. It's not. Because when do you flip? from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Jameis Winston? Do you wait for Fitzpatrick to cool off? How cool does he have to go before you go with Jameis Winston? Could Jameis Winston be as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick right out of the gates? We heard how great Winston was during training camp in the preseason. Could he step right in and be as good, if not better, than Fitzpatrick? You can only go with one guy, and they're going to have to make a decision when Winston returns. Who do you install for the week four starting quarterback position? I think it's a no-brainer at this point. You go with Ryan Fitzpatrick because it's a short week. It's a Monday night game. Tuesday, Winston returns. Sunday, it's a game at Chicago. I think at a minimum, Fitzpatrick gets that fourth game. By week, the following Sunday, the Falcons are the team that the Buccaneers play week six. So first question, week four. I think that one's easy. Tougher question, week six. Is it Winston? Is it Fitzpatrick? It's not going to be an easy decision for Coach Dirk Cutter. But the good news is they're 2-0 and at a time when many thought they would be 0-2. And, and, and on Winston, he's been texting his teammates. Peter King has that in his Football Morning in America column. I saw Alex Marvez of Sirius XM NFL Radio. He pointed out that Winston, after week one, was texting teammates. I've asked the league, is that acceptable? Because it may not be. When you're suspended, you're cut off. So could it be a problem for Jameis Winston if he's indeed communicating with his teammates? That's something we're taking a look at. It's not a huge issue, but you know, you're on suspension and you've got specific terms and things you can and can't do. And if you're violating the things you can and can't do, that could be an issue. That could be a problem for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and more specifically for Jameis Winston. Problem for NFL defenses Scoring is up significantly through the first two weeks. That's a point that was made by Peter King in his Football Morning in America column. 1,249 points scored in the first two weeks of the 2017 season. That was an average of 39.03 per game. This year, 1,465 in 32 games, 47.26 per game average. And actually, we're one short of 32 games. It's 31 games because the 32nd game will be played on Monday night. So the average is actually a little bit higher than 47.26 per game. What does that mean? Well, look, uh, Calais Campbell, the Jaguars defensive lineman, said, hey, the rules are being skewed even more in favor of offense. And that may be the case. We've seen defenses be ahead of offenses in recent years because of the reduced offseason practice time, the reduced intensity of training camp and preseason but, uh, you know, the bottom line is this. Scoring is up, and that's good for everyone. That's good for the NFL. That's good for people who play fantasy football. That's good for the people who watch the games. It makes the games more exciting. I say all the time, college games seem to be more exciting. They're higher scoring. So many of these NFL games, 14 to 10, 17 to 13, those are not exciting games. You want both teams in the 20s, maybe one team in the 30s. Those are exciting games where you have regular scoring throughout the game, and you have an outcome that, that, that feels, it doesn't feel like arena football. 34-31 is great. 
37-35 is great. Those are great, exciting back-and-forth games, and the NFL needs more of those. All right, I need some questions from the PFTPM posse. I'm going to answer a few before I play for you the sound of last night's discussion with Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, and Mike Tirico. As soon as I find the tweet where I put the call out for questions, here we go. We've got 25 so far. Can't get to all of them. Got a flight to catch. Let's find the best ones here on the fly. PFTPM posse, which Cowboys team should Cowboys Nation expect each week? Something closer to week one, Dallas, or week two? Is their defense and their defensive line as real slash legit as they seem? Or is it part of the annual defenses start the season ahead of offenses usually? I, look, I, I think that the real Cowboys may be somewhere between what we saw in week one and what we saw in week two. Maybe closer to week two? I don't know. It may just be that they win the games they're supposed to win, they lose the games they're supposed to lose. And the Giants overmatched on the offensive line, especially against that Dallas defense. It doesn't surprise me that the Cowboys won. I thought the Cowboys would win. Last week I thought they would lose. And I really do think it's going to be driven by the quality of the opponent. They're not a great team. They're going to lose their fair share of games. The question is, do they win enough games so they have a chance to go to the playoffs and inevitably lose at some point in one of the first two rounds? They haven't been back to the NFC Championship game since 1995, and I have a feeling they're not going to make it back there this year. All right, let's see what else we have here. PFTPM Posse, while the Browns are still winless, at what point does GM John Dorsey start being concerned that Hugh may win enough games to make firing him difficult if it's ever difficult to fire a 1-32-1 head coach? Yeah, they got a long way to go before John Dorsey thinks he may not be able to proceed with a plan that I believe is in place, that Hugh Jackson will be out after this year. He may be out during this year with Todd Haley taking over as the interim head coach and then John Dorsey hiring the guy that I think that that he knows who he wants to hire. I, I think he knows who he wants to hire. I think that person already is on board with Baker Mayfield as the quarterback, and we'll see how that plays out after the season. But I, I just can't imagine Hugh Jackson being back for next year. But ownership continues to be behind Hugh Jackson for whatever reason. Josh Randall wants to know what it would take for me to mention the PFTPM posse on Football Night in America. Yeah, that that's not happening because that's not my space. Right. I, that's where I do what they tell me to do. And uh, I, I'm not going off the rails by making reference to PFTPM Posse when, uh, you know, it's a very controlled environment. There's a lot to get to in a short period of time. So sorry, I'll mention you, you know, constantly on PFT Live and here on the PFTPM podcast. But uh, I think that's all we're going to have to settle for for now. Josh Randall asks, also during the Flategate, it was reported that Tom Brady couldn't contact his teammates or anyone affiliated with the Patriots. Uh, this is a question relating to the concept of Jameis Winston texting teammates. Again, we're taking a look at that. But yeah, Tom Brady was shut out. Suspended players typically are shut out and not allowed to deal with their team or their teammates. So we'll see whether or not Jameis Winston is in hot water. Ron Stepp wants to know whether Sam Darnold will become the next Joe Namath. As Jets fans hope. I, just because they lost yesterday, it's not time to give up on Sam Darnold. It's a work in progress. And contrast the guy who gets thrust into the fray with the guy who sits for a year. Will Sam Darnold be better or worse for the experience that he goes through this year when he gets into 2019? I'm a big believer in going with rookie quarterbacks right out of the gates. If you think enough of them to draft them in the top 10, you should think enough of them to put them on the field. But after talking to Patrick Mahomes yesterday, 
following his rollicking win over the Steelers and how he's performed so far this year. And he explained to me that sitting out last year did indeed benefit him. He knows how to study. He knows how to learn. He knows how to read coverages. He knows how to make decisions. He learned that from Coach Reed and from Alex Smith last year. I, I guess that I can at least accept the idea and the concept of giving a guy time, although I'd still love to see what Patrick Mahomes would have done if they'd have put him in games last year after that 5-0 and start melted into a 6-6 and record through 12 games. Would Patrick Mahomes have, have gone out there and played on the fly something like what we've seen through the first two weeks of the 2018 season? Mike likes dirt. What's less energetic, the Patriots' offense or defense? Look, I, I think the defense is really the issue here, and I know the offense is going to it's going to have its moments where it can't do what it wants to do, especially with Julian Edelman still out. He's serving that four-game suspension, but the defense was a problem yesterday. When you make Blake Bortles look like Peyton Manning, your defense is a problem. All right. Nicholas Rain McKenzie wants to know at what point did the Steelers move on from defensive coordinator Keith Butler? Yeah, that's not a good look. And it was Terry Bradshaw who said before the season, why did Mike Tomlin fire his offensive coordinator but keep his defensive coordinator? And look at how the Steelers' defense performed their last home game, the playoff loss to the Jaguars when they were down 21-0 in the second quarter. And this home game, home opener against the Chiefs, down 21-0 in the first quarter. The offense did a good job of making it close and making it interesting. But at the end of the day, 42 points given up by the defense. That's not Steeler football. And at some point, that's going to create consequences for the defensive coordinator. And you know what? At some point, maybe it creates some heat for Mike Tomlin because he's a defensive guy. And some of this sticks to him. And uh, if the Steelers keep giving up a lot of points, it's going to get louder and louder in Pittsburgh because they can't be happy about the way the team has performed so far this year. A tie on the road against Cleveland and a loss at home to the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Looking for something good. I need to wrap. I need to go. I don't want to miss my flight. That would not be good. Um, Is Patrick Mahomes the best current quarterback? That's a question that comes from C.J. Newman. I'm not ready to say he's the best. Right now he is playing the best, but uh, I don't know that he's the best. But you know what? If I'm starting a team, Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes, I'll take the guy who turns 23 today. Not the guy who's 34 or 35, but either way, far closer to the end than the beginning. I mean, and, and I know the NFL has been hoping for these young quarterbacks to really show that they can pick up the baton of franchise quarterback going into the next decade and maybe beyond. Because most of the franchise quarterbacks in the NFL, wrong side of 35, wrong side of 30. Here's a guy who's on the right side of 25. Until today, he was on the right side of 23. And he is looking great. And the sky's the limit for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And and it feels like maybe there's a changing of the guard going on. You know, you've got the Buccaneers playing really well with an older quarterback. You've got the Chiefs at 2-0. The Broncos are 2-0. The Dolphins are 2-0. The Jaguars are 2-0. And there's promise for them. Chris Sims thinks they are a potential Super Bowl winner based upon what he's seen so far. I, I like how this season is playing out through two weeks I like the uncertainty I like the fact that teams that are downtrodden in the past or at least not shortlist contenders are crashing the party and making things very very interesting so you know I I feel like interest is up in football in large part because there really is a sense no one knows what's going to happen this year that makes for some exciting football and the exciting football should continue before we go 
Here's my conversation from Sunday night with Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, and Mike Tirico. We'll do this again tomorrow once I am safely back in West Virginia. Have a great Monday. Enjoy the Seahawks-Bears game. I like the Seahawks in this one. We'll see if I'm right. I've been, I've been slightly more right than wrong so far this year. I may need this one to be you know, even more confident that I kind of know what I'm talking about, although far too often I don't. But that's what makes it fun. We don't know what's going to happen. That's why we watch the games, to find out how they're going to play out. And every time we think we have it figured out, we figure out that, that we just don't. Here with Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, and Mike Tirico. Guys, we are almost through two full weeks of the season. Seven teams at 2-0. and Which one do we believe in the most, Coach? Well, I'm going to have to start with Jacksonville. They've got that great defense. I think the best front four in football. But I was really impressed. Blake Bortles played an outstanding game today. He didn't have his running back. And for him to be able to beat the Patriots like that, not in the low-scoring slugfest where he didn't have to do much, he won the game. If he continues to play like that, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. I have to agree with you, Coach, because I look at Blake Bortles, and that's your boy. And you've always told me about him. him. Believe, believe in, him. in him. But the mental toughness by Blake Bortles, come, losing his number one receiver this year, um, not having Leonard Fournette, his starting running back, and just playing with a bunch of kind of no-name guys out there. But the mental toughness that he showed was tremendous. Interesting, in Tampa, Miami, Cincinnati, Denver, four of those 2-0 teams were teams that missed the playoffs yeah. last year. But you guys pointed out Jacksonville. What about Kansas City? I know they get off to hot starts. We've seen them fade, but it feels a little bit different with Mahomes for some reason this They're year. They're really, really exciting. I'm still not sold on their defense yet. Okay. We saw some big plays against them. The Rams are the team that we don't know who they played, but I'll tell you what, they are playing outstanding offense and defense right now. And Coach, sometimes you just you just have to be able to play defense and stop people. You can't go into every single game trying to outscore people. The weather's going to change. You're going to have to be able to run the football. You're going to have to play def defensively. I don't believe in the Kansas City Chiefs at all. Yeah, but back to Jacksonville, one thing I'm very curious about, there was a lot of chatter in the offseason about not going for it more, not, not trying to attack, being down or up 10 points against the Patriots, taking a couple of knees at the end of the half. Do you think maybe they heard some of that and they're starting to incorporate a little more aggressiveness into the offense? I think so, and I think the fact that Blake Bortles has played more football, they, they believe in him a little bit more. But I'm amazed they're doing it, as Rodney said, without your, your number one receiver. Um, th that but it just really, really shows how much confidence the organization has in Blake Bortles. The fact that they're just saying, you know what, we're going to allow you to win football games. And the fact that they got up on the Patriots and they didn't run the ball and they weren't conservative, I, I just I love that. That's what's going to get them to the next All level. the quarterbacks that are out there in free agency. Right. They could have had their choice of them, and they decided yeah. to re-up Mike with Blake Bortles. Yep. Also interesting, too, in the league, rarely do you tie a team to an executive except for Jerry Jones with the Cowboys. Jacksonville has become tied to Tom Coughlin that's going to be built this way and done this way. Doug Marone doesn't get much credit in this whole thing. He's building a physical team that dominates both lines of scrimmage. We saw that against New England. Those are the teams, like you said, Rodney, that can last when the weather gets better. Look at the two teams that played in the AFC Championship. Let's take an honest look at them. The Patriots did not look like they got better this year. So far. So yeah. far. Right. But when you look at Jacksonville, it just looks like they've gotten better. They believe in themselves. They were on the same field with New England and had a chance to win that game. So. The Chiefs believe in Patrick Mahomes. I believe in Patrick Mahomes. I was calling you for Patrick Mahomes last year when they were falling apart. But, you know, he told me after the game, 
that sitting and learning last year really helped him. If he had played last year, he would have been winging it. Now he knows how to prepare. He knows how to study. He knows how to read defenses, how to execute Andy Reid's offense. And what the guy's done is incredible. He's never had a home game yet where he started. He's 3-0 and on the road dating back to last year. No, he's playing outstanding football. And I know what he's saying. Alex Smith, I'm sure, helped him a lot as he got to watch him. But who knows where Patrick Mahomes would be if he'd have played 10 or 12 or 14 games last year. Uh, he's playing lights out. First time around, he's gone on the road. He's looked like a 10-year vet. Uh, he's just... He's playing special football, but Andy Reid knew that because Andy loved Alex Smith and won a lot of games with Alex Smith, but he made the move and said it's time for Patrick Mahomes. They've, won, they've done a wonderful job of surrounding him with talent, a great running back, a really great tight end, a, a good all-around specialist in Tyreek Hill. They have weapons with Sammy Watkins, and no one cares who gets the credit. No one complains after the game if they only have one catch. They're all about winning football games. Can they continue to do it through the air? Are they going to have to build that running game as the season gets deeper? That's a concern. You know what? I think they've proven that they can run the football last year. I think they have a lot of confidence in it, but I, I do believe they feel like passing the ball is a weapon. They have all these weapons, and at this point in time, they don't really have to run I the ball. I don't know if Andy Reid. No, I coached against Andy yeah, Reid for right, a long yeah. time. He loves to throw does, the football, and his assistant coaches are having to tell him run it, run it, run it, and now that he's got Patrick Mahomes and he sees these big plays, he'll want to throw the ball 50 times. But the one good thing that it does, <laughs> it keeps your big physical running back fresh. Yeah. Going into yeah. the I don't know if Andy's ever going to win a championship, but man, he has given us some entertaining football over that's the years. The but, but Offensive the, football, exciting football. Yeah, Mike, but that's the reason why he got rid of Alex Smith. He wanted to go with the young guy because he wanted that vertical threat mm -hmm. of the passing game. Real quickly, three phases to the game, offense, defense, special teams, a lot of bad kicking today. I want to know, Coach, what would you do? you got a kicker who's struggling. What do you say to him to turn it around, or you just say, see you later? No, if it's a guy you believe in, uh, you, and I said this when Roberto Aguayo was struggling down in Tampa, you go to him and say, you know what, you're going to be my kicker for the next five years. I don't care if you miss every kick. Just go out there, relax, and, and be fine. Now, if you don't really believe in that guy, you get another one. And, and, and Rodney in the locker room, who orders the code red on the kicker if he keeps you know, missing field goals? We have so many things as an individual that you have to worry about. Your focus is on what you have to do. You don't say anything to the kicker. And plus, I've been blessed with great kickers. Yeah, you never had to deal with it. All right. Well, uh, great stuff as always, guys. Thanks for some extra time. And we will see you all next week. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.